0: So, um, so this morning, I'm continuing in the second part of this uh, three-part series entitled If. And uh, my hope and prayer this morning uh, is simply that God would set a, a fire and a passion in our hearts for even more of his presence. And uh, you might be thinking, hold on, Matt, that sounds like what you preached last week. And you're right. Right. I'm preaching the same message again. And you'll think like, no. But don't worry, it's not exactly the same. It's the same but different. Because, because there's more. There is more. Like, there's more opportunity for us to go deeper. There's there's more of God to experience, and this this theme, "there is more," as I shared last week, is our theme for 2020 as Zio Church. We feel this is what God is saying to us: there is more. There's more of God to embrace. There's more of God to experience. There's more of God to encounter. There's more. But whether you and I discover and embrace and encounter. And experience more of God, guess what? Is entirely up to us. Entirely up to us. Like we looked last week about the fact that God has made it so clear in Scripture, abundantly clear. He has said, if you call on Him, He will answer. If you seek Him, you'll find Him. If you open the door, then He'll come in. If you hunger and thirst for Him, then He will satisfy us. God longs to be with us. He longs to be with us when we're together, like today or in our groups. And he longs to be with us in the private moments, but he only comes where he is welcome. Is he welcome today? Is he welcome today? Is everyone alive in the house today? Yeah, You're going to talk with me, aren't you? Because I'm going to get a bit passionate probably today, and so I need to know you're with me. So last week I looked at the fact that every choice has a consequence. We know that is true. That's just true in life. And so you make bad choices, you get bad consequences, you make good choices, you make good, You get good consequences. And I talked about the fact that the best choice we can ever make in life is to be people who pursue God. The person of God, the presence of God above everything else. That we would be God-pleasers, God-pursuers, God-chasers. Uh, that we would be people who are passionate about God being front and center in our lives, that we'd be the kind of people who wake up every morning and we'd say, God, we welcome you, we long for you, I need you in my life. We long for his presence. Because we recognize that in his presence there is love and joy and comfort and peace and hope and strength and encouragement and inspiration and healing and forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and the miraculous. There is so much available to us in the presence of God. Like, does anyone need an encounter with the presence of God today? Like, we need those things, don't we? There's something, at least in that list of things that I said, that all of us need. We long for it. We are praying as a church. And we've been praying for a while. If you come here for any time, you'll know that we've been praying for three things to happen every single week in the life of this church. When we gather on a Sunday in our groups, uh, in, in every place, we're praying for salvation. We're praying that every single week, people will have a spiritual awakening. They'll realize not just that God exists, but that Jesus is real and that he broke into history to save us through dying on the cross, rising again. And we can be restored into a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. Done. we are praying that every day and we're praying it today that someone becomes a follower of Jesus amen like we're praying that like it happened last week it was awesome People became followers of Jesus at the end of the service last week. It was so good. We're praying not just for salvation, we're praying for healing. We are praying that people will be healed, that we will pray and people will be physically healed. You'll know we're praying for a little girl at the moment who's just two and a half years old, Lily May. Her family are not part of our church community, but she is as a terminal cancer condition. She's got a brain tumor and they're just literally trying to treat her in a way just to prolong her life just a little bit. And she was going in for a Operation, we've been praying for her as a church. This and in this last week, she went in, and, uh, and the doctors were confounded, the parents were confounded because the first time the tumor has literally shrunk in her head, and they just can't believe it, they just don't understand it. But we believe in a God of miracles, we believe, and we are saying to that tumor right now, in the name of Jesus, you have to shrivel up and die and become nothing. And we declare over Lily May right now, you will be healed. You will be healed. We believe in a God who heals. And we're praying for that because that's what happens in his presence. We are praying for miracles to break out in the life of our church. Miracles in in marriages, miracles in finances, miracles in job situations, miracles of, of addictions being broken. We believe in a God of miracles. And when the presence of God breaks out, there are miracles. And we're praying for this God every single week. We're praying for it. And not just on a Sunday, not just in our groups, but we're praying for it in your workplaces. We're praying for it in Sainsbury's and in the corridors and classrooms of these schools and and in colleges and and in gymnasiums and coffee shops. We're praying that the kingdom of God would break out in the world every single week. And the cry of our hearts is, God, would you hear us? God, would you save us? God, would would you heal us? God, would you be at work in us? God, would you show the world irrefutably demonstrably and tangibly that God is alive is that not the longing of of our hearts? the longing of our hearts and guess what it's in God's heart to do that it's not like when we pray those prayers they are not in line with God's will you don't need to pray God is it your will that that someone is healed or you don't need to pray God is it your will that my, my husband becomes a follower of Jesus it is God's will it is God's will now God's will doesn't always happen If that was always the case, then Jesus would not tell us to pray. In in the most famous prayer of all, Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why should we pray God's will be done? Because sometimes it doesn't happen. There's a war. There's a battle. There are losses at times that are hard to understand, but we're commanded to pray. But God wants to do these things. That was the promise of this key passage, our text really for these three weeks, which is in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I'll heal their land. Like God could not be clearer in terms of what he's saying here. He's saying, look, if you surrender, if you admit you need me, then I will hear and I will act. And I will save, and I will forgive, and I will heal. I will do these things if you put me first, if you be people who pursue my presence. That's what God is saying in this passage. And I just want to remind you what has happened in the two chapters that lead up to this because it's significant. You you may remember that this, this verse features in a story, in fact at the end of the story, about the dedication of Israel's first incredible temple that King Solomon built seven years in the making. This glorious incredible temple, this amazing temple. And we spoke last week how in chapter 5 when the temple's complete in a place of praise and worship and, and gratitude and thanksgiving in welcome and expectation. In that place that the presence of God tangibly appears, breaks out like a cloud and every single life is impacted. It said the priest could not minister. And we don't know how long that went on for, this incredible moment when the presence of God was so powerful that literally it says they were, they were on their knees or on their faces. It, it, it says they could not stand because the presence of God had arrived in such a tangible way. But then at the beginning of chapter 6, if you look later in your Bibles, you'll see that, that eventually Solomon, the king, he stands up to speak and everyone's looking at him wondering what he's about to do. And what he does next surprises everybody. And so what he does, and if you look at the uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 12 to 13, what you see Solomon does is he literally, he gets on his knees. He raises his hands high towards heaven and he prays this long and loud and passionate and heartfelt prayer. And that's essentially what the whole of chapter 6 is. It's his prayer. This thing he prays over and over again, different words, but essentially the same thing. He's essentially saying, God, when we mess up, when we screw up, when we drift away from you, when we mess up our lives, when we make bad decisions, when we reject you, when, if we turn back to you, if we admit that we have messed up, if we admit that we've got things wrong, if we do that humbly, then... Would you hear us? Would you forgive us? And would you heal us? And over and over again, if you look at chapter 6, he's praying that same refrain. When we mess up, if we turn back to you, would you hear us and forgive us and heal us? And he declares it loud and proud for everyone to hear because he wants the whole nation of Israel, the people of God, to know that there is really one true king who can save them. And it's not Solomon. It's the God Almighty. He's reminding them all that that's what they need. And then if you look in a moment at Second Chronicles chapter 7, it happens again at the end of this big prayer in front of all these people. The presence of God literally breaks out again. In chapter 5, it came like a cloud. In chapter 7, it's like fire. It says literally the presence of God filled the temple with fire, consumed the sacrifices. And yet miraculously, the temple did not burn up. But it fills with the presence of God in fire. And again in this moment, then they break out in praise and and they break out in worship and they start singing the same song that I talked about last week. They sing, God is good, his love endures forever. God is good, his love endures forever. God is is good. And they sing it over and over and over and over again. In fact, they sing it and they worship and they praise, get this church, for 22 days. Days, not minutes, not hours, but days for 22 days. They were so impacted by the presence of God that they just didn't want to leave because the presence of God was irresistible. You know, you heard of that phrase FOMO, fear of missing out. Like No one wanted to leave because of their fear of missing out on what God was doing. 22 days of passionately worshipping God, pursuing God. I'm longing for the day we're on a Sunday or when we have the gathering this Tuesday. Come to the gathering. It's a place where we have even more freedom to worship God and connect with him. I'm longing for the day when, when if people are sitting home, even in this room, you will have FOMO for what's going on in our center. That you will be fearful of missing out on what God is doing on a Tuesday night. That you won't want to miss your group or you won't want to miss a Sunday gathering because you will fearful that you are missing out of God doing something so wonderful, so incredible as we gather together. I wonder if anyone will say amen. amen. Great, see you all Tuesday, half past seven, it's going to be awesome. Oh, not so much laughter then. But can you imagine being in a gathering where just people don't want to leave? They, they, they just don't care about the time anymore, they're just so hungry for more of God and And if you continue in the story, what you'll see is eventually on the 23rd day, Solomon literally had to force the people to go home. He literally had to tell them to go home. It says in verse 10, Solomon sent the people to their homes joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and his people Israel. Like, that's how I want to leave a gathering, don't you? I want to leave every gathering with God's people joyful and glad in heart for the good things that the Lord has done. That's how I want to leave. Like last week, you know, we were here all setting up at half past seven, and I was talking to Paul Strong, who's, uh, one, who was our setup team leader that week. And, you know, it's, it's a big job for our setup team. They're amazing. They're the first to arrive, and they're the last to leave. And, uh, and last week, people became followers of Jesus. In the second service, people became, including a family member of Paul's. And we chatted at the end, and we said it was all worth it. It was worth being here for five hours because that person became a follower of Jesus. And we left, not tired and weird. we were we left glad and joyful and we give another five hours if that's what it meant because that's what happens when the presence of God comes. It's all worth it. I want to leave our gatherings like that. I want to leave groups like that. Wouldn't you love it if you could leave your workplace feeling full of joy and gladness because the presence of God had broken out in your workplace, in your school, in your neighbourhood and so by the time you put your head on your pillow, you're feeling glad and joyful because you know that God's been at work in you and through you. And so eventually he sends all the people home and then Solomon goes home to himself and he has some time by himself later that night with God because Solomon understands that times corporately together with the people of God is good, but time by yourself with God is also good. We'll talk about that more next week. And then in the stillness and in the quietness, God speaks. And it's after everything that's happened that we finally get to this verse that we keep coming back to in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And God replies to the prayer of Solomon and says this, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At time I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then, here's our verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy. A place where my name will be honoured forever. I will watch over it for it's dear to my heart. Notice that God literally responds like for like. Solomon says, when this happens, if we do this, would you do this? And God responds exactly the same way and says, yes, when you do this, if you do this, I will do this. If. My eyes are always looking out over you. Like, Could you imagine what that, those few days must have been like? Like, would, would, like? Would you love to be transported back 3,000 years ago and being in that moment? But here's the thing that's amazing, folks. The experience that Solomon had is nothing compared to what is available to us today. What is available to us today? See, even Solomon knew that this structure that he created called the temple could never hold the presence of God. He said himself in in his prayer in 2nd Chronicles 6:18. He said there's not enough room in all of heaven for you Lord God. How could you possibly live on earth in this temple I've built? Like Solomon was saying, Lord, I know God, like this is your house, but you're much much bigger than that. But what he didn't realise is that this moment that he was experiencing and this prayer that he was praying was really just a foretaste of what was to come for us. What was available to us. Because if you fast forward a thousand years... And we see the time of Jesus, God who breaks into human history to show us what God is like, to show us how to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, not for his own failures, but because we've rejected God and refused to live God's way, to rise again, defeating all of the powers of darkness and death and suffering and struggle and sickness. And then after he rises again, he spends 40 days with his friends and then he returns back to the Father and he says to them, like, wait now, go to Jerusalem and wait in the upper room and pray and seek my face and then the Holy Spirit's going to come and in Acts chapter 2 we're told that 10 days later 120 men and women are gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem and what are they doing they are praying they are pursuing his presence they are worshiping they're grateful maybe they're singing some of those Old Testament classic songs God is good his love endures forever God is good Ah, oh, the passion. And as they pray and as they worship and as they give grateful expectation to all God, just like in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, something unexpected happens. The presence of God comes. But this time it's different. This time the presence of God doesn't just fill the place. The presence of God fills the people. The people. Remember that verse that we read, Second Chronicles seven sixteen, where God says, I've chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honoured. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. In Acts chapter 2, God is, is not looking at a physical building, he's looking at people and he's saying over those people and he's saying over you and me I have chosen you you now become the temple I've set you apart to be holy which means to be different to be called apart to live differently by God I've determined that you are a place where my name will be honored and I will watch over you because you are dear to my heart God doesn't reside anymore in temples although we believe he does inhabit places and spaces but God will continually rest on and in and through people who choose to follow Jesus and surrender to his son that's the wonder it's what Paul a church leader who writes most of the new testament he says in first corinthians 3 16 don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst Later, in another letter to the church in Corinth, again, 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says, We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will with, live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Like It's a game-changing moment. God longs to rest his power and his presence on all of us, filling us with the life of God. He longs for that. But remember what I keep coming back to. Remember, remember, remember that he always comes where he's welcome. His presence comes where he's welcome. He fills where he's invited. He comes in where the door is opened. Is he welcome today? It was true in Second Chronicles. It's true in Acts 2 and it's true today. Is he welcome? Are we the kind of people who will wake up every morning and just say, God, I welcome you. I surrender to you. Fill me afresh with your presence. Fill me afresh with your spirit. Fill me afresh with your power. Change me. Transform me from the inside out. But understand this. That if we are people who do that, if we are people who are hungry for the presence of God, it won't just be for our good, it will be for the good of the whole world. In fact, I would say if our encounter with the presence of God, if we know we've been touched by God, if that encounter does not drive us out into the world, then we probably haven't fully experienced God. Because the closer you get to the heart of God, you discover that the heart of God is for the people outside the room. His heart is breaking for lost people who don't know him. His heart is longing for people to return and be part of his family. And so when we truly encounter the power and the presence of God, Like We won't be able to keep it in a holy huddle. We will long for other people to have that experience. We will long for people more than anything to have that God in their life. A true encounter with God, a true connection with God will always drive you into the mission of God. Your moment with God will create a movement of God's. It's impossible for it not to do that. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. Like when the Holy Spirit comes and the presence of God comes, they don't stay in a room. Literally, the presence of God comes and it comes. How does it come? It comes like fire and it comes like a wind, like a cloud. It, it's got those echoes of Second Chronicles, but they don't stay. They don't celebrate it. They don't try to hold it. If you look at Acts chapter 2, it breaks out into the street. And before the end of that day, 3,000 people have become followers of Jesus because moments with God spark movements of God. And that's what we are longing for. Last year, 2018, you'll know our theme for the year was stretch. It was based on Isaiah 54 verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your curtain, uh, tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And we've been doing various stretches personally and together since then and And probably we're currently in one of the biggest stretches that we've done in quite a while, which is to go to two services. We believe that God's called us to go to two services in order to make room, in order for more people to connect with Jesus. Not that it's about the Sundays, but it's a space and a place where people can connect with Jesus. And it's stretching us, let's be honest, in terms of our time and our commitment. And it's definitely stretching us in terms of our faith, particularly the second service. This service is pretty full. The second service is agonizingly empty agonisingly empty. About 70% of the church is coming to the first service and and much less so in the second service. It's really excruciating at times. And I'm so encouraged and so grateful to so many of you who've stepped up to serve and give a whole morning once a month. and, And I'll never get over that. I'm so grateful for the sacrifices that you make. And if you're not involved in what God's doing by serving in the house once a month, let me encourage you to do that. And as I said earlier, we we do this, we serve and we sacrifice because we actually believe it's worth it. We actually believe that what we're not doing, we're not putting it on a show, we're creating a space and a place for people to encounter God. We're creating a space and a place for people to be healed. We're creating a space and a place for people to respond to God, to receive wholeness and forgiveness, to come to know Jesus. We're creating a space on a Sunday when we gather in these two services uh, for people to experience miracles in their life, uh, comfort in the midst of difficult times. We're creating a space and a place sometimes for someone just to have a hug and to have someone dry their eyes. We serve and we sacrifice for this reason. And that's why when I look out on this church, even now and in the second service, and I see these empty seats, they are agonizing to me. Not because numbers matter to Zio, but because people matter to God. People matter to God. And so when you look at an empty seat, that seat is a visible reminder that someone is missing out on Jesus, that someone is missing out on life, that that, that seat that's next to you, that empty seat, cries out to us. And it cries out to, to us because maybe it's the seat for your neighbour or your family member or your work colleague or the person that serves you coffee every week or the person that you see in the gym or, or the mums at the gate. Maybe that seat is for a stranger in the street that you just get challenged adding to. Maybe it's the person who's serving the big issue. Maybe it's the person you end up talking to on the train or the bus. But that C is for someone. It's for someone. Empty seats are agonizing because they mean that people are missing out on God. Not because numbers matter to Zio, but because people matter to God. And the leader in me, let me be honest, like, wants to fix this. I want to fix this. Like, I'm a strategist. I'm a visionary. I want to come up with ideas. What should we do? What should we do? How do we see more people reached? And, and that's not a bad thing. It's the way God's made me and made some of you. Like, what do we need to do? How can we bring more people in? That's not a bad thing. It would be great if all of us, including me, would commit to pray that God would give us connections and friendships with people so that we would feel courageous enough to invite them and bring them and come. It would be great. It would be great, to be honest, if I could say this to you dear folk in the first service. It would be great, really practically, if some of you would make the sacrifice of coming to the second service to help us reach more people in the second service. That would be great if some of you would be able to do that. But what God is saying to us so clearly at this time is that ultimately strategies and plans, and particularly even God-inspired strategies and plans, which are right and we still need to do, ultimately that's not going to bring the change. The thing that will bring the change in this church, the thing that will make us have our fear of missing out and and want us to say to other people, like, you must be a part of this, is that there is such a powerful sense that God is at work here that we just won't want to miss it and that we want everyone we know to be part of it. Okay, I, I obviously didn't say that right. The thing that will shift this is if all of us have such an incredible sense that when we gather, and we'll talk about when we're doing our own stuff next week, but when we gather, that there is such a powerful sense of the presence of God, that demons are flying out of windows, people are getting healed, people are getting saved, relationships are being restored, that we cannot help but want to be there ourselves and say to our friends and our enemies and people who drive us nuts, you must be here because God is doing something. God is doing something, and unless that happens, I can't make you bring someone any more than I can make myself bring someone. But if God does an incredible work in me and through me, it'll just be contagious. Dan, would you just come up just as we head into our final song? You know, friends, every every spiritual awakening, every revival, every crazy move of God has always been birthed in the place where people have prayed and passionately pursued God. Like, throughout history. It's the only way it happens. When people literally they get on their knees and say, God, unless you come, we long for you. It was in New Year's Eve, 19, uh, 1738. There's a guy called John Wesley. He gathers 60 of his friends at a place called Fetter Lane in London. And he prays through the night. And he writes in his journal later that, uh, later that day, he says about three in the morning as we were continuing in constant prayer. Remember what we keep saying? Prayer and praise and worship is a magnet for heaven. He said the power of God came mightily upon us so much that many cried out with exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. And as soon as we recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be Lord. It was their Pentecost moment. Oh that we would have moments like this when we gather. And the thing that happened after that was amazing. Wesley then was propelled literally out of that prayer meeting and as a result of that encounter with God, he spent the rest of his life, another 50 years, travelling on horseback over 250,000 miles on a horse telling hundreds of thousands of people the good news of Jesus. His brother Charles went on to uh, write 600 hymns that are still sung in churches all over the world. And his friend George Whitfield left that prayer meeting, went across to America and with his friend Jonathan Edwards sparked a physical and spiritual awakening that transformed the nation of America. But it happened in the place of his presence, in the pursuit of his presence because moments with God spark movements of God. Moments with God. There is more. Would you stand with me? There is more. And, and maybe I was thinking about this this morning. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why we don't do this. Maybe we're not hungry for his presence because we just know. If we are hungry for his presence and if we encounter him, we we like the bit about God changing us and transforming us and healing us and restoring us and giving us peace and comfort. We like that part of the equation. But actually, the part of the thing which, which is then about God stirring us to move out into the world and take that presence into other places, maybe we're not so sure about that. And yet God is saying to us, Would you surrender would you surrender So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment just bow for a moment there is more there is more